and revile you and cast your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. You know, it, that, that uh, those verses, uh, you know, we've read them in the past and seems like something that happens in other countries. It's going to probably start happening more and more in this country. Uh, Tufts University had the exact same policy, and then there was a public outcry, and they reneged it. But now that the Supreme Court has upheld it, I think it's very likely uh, that uh, they're going to start doing this. I do think it has an effect on college campuses in terms of intervarsity. We support two intervarsity missionaries here. Uh, Campus Crusade for Christ... It may affect, I think mostly it will affect uh, churches wanting to meet in schools, which thousands of them do across this country. So I do praise the Lord that we live in a country where we can meet somewhere and teach the Bible. But uh, we do live in a time where Christianity is under attack. It's offensive, offensive to many people. And... I personally think the solution is not to elect the right person to president. I think the solution is revival. That is the solution. That's how people are going to come around. Because you may uh, elect a different person into to president and get better Supreme Court justices, but if you have a group of people that is so rabid uh, against um, our faith, they will find a way... Uh, to do things as they did in the University of California system to keep Christians out. So the solution is prayer. The solution is revival. The solution is getting into the Word of God. That's what we need to focus on. And praying that, praising the Lord that He's in control. God is in control. This I know. He's in control. A couple other announcements this Friday, uh, Saturday morning, men's breakfast. If you haven't signed up, sign up in the back, please, men. We always have a wonderful time. Sign up for the men's breakfast. We're having a teacher come down from New Hampshire. There's a time of worship. Always a great time. We will be starting a men's Bible study on Saturday mornings, I believe, starting July 24th. Note that, men. Men's Bible study we will be starting up, and that will be weekly on Saturday mornings. What else do we have here? Mark the date. Have a picnic on Saturday, August 28th, also a time for a baptism. So if you've never been baptized after the point of asking Jesus into your life, that's the that we believe what the Bible teaches. If you baptize as a child, as, I, as a baby, as I was, the Bible teaches that you should again be baptized after giving your life to Christ. And is there anything else? Oh, yes. Summer Friday night Bible studies. Going through the minor prophets. One minor prophet per Friday. Who are we on this Friday? Who's after Jose? Is it Amos? Joel, Joel, Joel. We're going through Joel uh, this Friday night. And uh, um, that is at a new location, 31 Iroquois Street. Okay, why don't we pray? We're, uh, at, before we get into the Word, we're in Proverbs, going through the Bible chapter by chapter. We're all the way into the Proverbs, Proverbs 11. But before we begin, let's pray. If you need a Bible, by the way, please raise your hand. Father, we thank you for your word, every bit of it, and how we need it this evening, Lord. We thank you, God, because you're in control. You're on the throne, Father. And we just just publicly just agree and praise you for that. You are in control, Lord, and Men, women, and the powers and rulers of this earth, they love to make pretend that they're in control and that they have power. We know, Lord, that you're in control of all things, Father. We pray. We pray in the name of Jesus for revival in this country. 
we pray that a this country would hunger and thirst for righteousness, Lord. We pray that uh, people would just turn around, turn, repent, do a U-turn, and turn to you. Because life only can be found in you, Lord, in Christ. We pray for that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. The word abomination in Hebrew means exceedingly great sin. But a just weight is his delight. So they used to... they. They didn't used to have sort of the digital scales. They had, uh, you know, they, they, they put a weight on one side of a scale, like one pound. And, but um, oftentimes they would, uh, you know, they would uh, have one set of weights for, for buying and another set of weights for selling. And so we need to give people what they are paying for. So the question for you, and I ask my own heart, is your employer getting what they're paying for? Are they? Are they getting what they are paying for? Abomination to the Lord, our dishonest scales. Two, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. And so I'm having every uh, Monday through Friday for three weeks having to go to Creole class from 5 to 8.30 all because those people 5,000 years ago tried to build a tower all the way to heaven. There's pride. And they got so to, you know they they built it and we're just going to become like God we're going to build this tower all the way to heaven and and God said you know if I let these people continue on you know who knows what they'll be up to so he divided their languages and as a result I'm having to go to Creole class and bang my head against the wall 46 years old trying to learn a new language pride. And the things that it has caused. There's a hundred examples in the Bible, at least, where there's pride and it's followed by just shame. Shame. We're coming up in the book of Acts to a really, and on Sunday mornings we're in Acts and we're coming to a, wow, this really stark example. One of my favorite in the whole Bible, although it's gory. Acts chapter 12, Herod goes to Tyre and Sidon, gives a speech. And it says, he was arrayed in royal apparel. He sat on his throne and the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of the voice of a man. In other words, this man's like a God. It says, then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. In other words, he just accepted that. Oh yeah, you guys are listening to the voice of a God. It says, he was eaten by worms and died. And that's what happens over and over again. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. With the humble, there is wisdom. Verse 3, the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. I forget who it was who died and some real, real rich guy in California and they asked his lawyer, how much did he leave behind? His lawyer said, everything. Left everything behind. Do not profit you, your riches, in the day of wrath. Do not set your heart uh, unto riches. Verse 5, the righteousness of the blameless will direct uh, his way aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The wickedness will fall by his own wickedness. But the unfaithful will be caught 
rather, verse 6, the righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. When a wicked man, verse 7, dies, his expectation will perish. And the hope of the unjust perishes. The righteous is delivered from trouble and it comes to the wicked instead. So think there, verse 8, of the Red Sea. They thought the Red Sea was going to be the end of them. The reason for, you know, for their destruction. But instead it came onto the Egyptians. Haman built a gallows for Mordecai and he himself wound, wound up being hung by it. Daniel, the lion's den, was thrown into it, but instead his accusers died in it. And that's the, the, the sort of the thought behind that verse. The righteous is delivered from trouble, but, in it, it, but it comes to the wicked instead. The hypocrite with his mouth, destroys his neighbor. But through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. When it, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is jubilation. I remember when uh, the beginning of the Iraq war, when Saddam Hussein was toppled, there was jubilation in the streets. Now, all kinds of ugliness followed, but you know, throughout history, I understand when Nero died, there was this tremendous rejoicing. It's one of the most wicked kings that ever lived. So that when the wicked perish, there's jubilation. Verse 11, by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor. Now that's a really interesting one. Just reflect on that. He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor. But a man of understanding holds his peace. So uh, probably the starkest example of this is David is leaving Jerusalem. And Shimei the Benjamite is cursing him. You man of blood. And he's cursing the king. And he's uh, throwing dirt at David. And he's throwing rocks at him. What kind of neighbor is that? This says... That he was devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor. Do you remember what David's reaction was to that? When he was, um, this, this guy was throwing rocks at him. Remember his, David's right hand man, Abishai said, just let me just go lop this guy's head off. He, look what he's calling the king. And David said, no, you know, I think the Lord is probably trying to do a work in my own life. It could be that I deserve these rocks that are being thrown on me, these curses. And so a wise man understands that maybe the reason that he has a neighbor that's driving him crazy or a co-worker or a relative in the family or maybe it's someone who lives in their own house is because God's trying to do a work in their own life. He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor. He who has wisdom says, you know, I'm really not liking and really aggravated by this neighbor, but there may be something about me that the Lord is trying to do a work in. And then it just goes on and says there, but a man of understanding holds his peace. That's what's what David did. He held his Peace. In other words, he didn't go nuts and, um, you know, basically let Abishai cut David's head off. Remember what happened. David came back to Jerusalem and Shimei was begging him for mercy, which David um, actually gave him. That was an amazing story. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. Amazing story. Verse 13, a tale bearer 
reveals secrets. But he who is faithful, is of a faithful spirit, conceals the matter. You know, there's something about our carnal nature that when we hear, you know, some kind of, I don't know, gossip or bad news about someone or whatever, there's something about our carnal nature that does not want to conceal the matter. And it takes spirit-led self-control sometimes to conceal a matter. but a talebearer will reveal them. Verse 14, where there's no counsel, the people will fail, will fall rather. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So a king or a leader who just goes about making decisions without seeking the counsel of people, Will you know? Will, will fall, or, or whatever he's leading um, are, are bound to fail. But the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now I must say that uh, because on a regular basis I I counsel people who are in crisis, probably once a month we get someone telling us, I'm so confused because I'm being told so many different things from so many people. (laughs) It's not always wise to run to a dozen different people or even half a dozen when you're in crisis. You should go to one or two people that you trust. What this is talking about is, for example, a king. A king doesn't go to his minister of treasury or a president, the president of the United States doesn't go to his secretary of the treasury when he wants to know about foreign policy. Uh, nor does he just make a foreign policy decision without, without consulting with not only the, the, the State Department, but you know, a number of people on, uh, you know, in his cabinet who can give different kind of perspectives um, on the situation. So important. God has given us each other. He's given the body of Christ to us, in fact, to to sort of to 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 be able to to get counsel. And I have a leadership team that uh, that gives me great counsel in many different areas. Verse, verse fifteen: He who is surety for a stranger will suffer. In other words, if a stranger comes to you and says, uh, "Hey," uh, can you do me a favor? Um, can you uh, put down uh, your house as surety for a loan I'm getting from this bank or whatever? Well, if you don't know the person, you're bound to suffer. But one who hates being surety is secure. Verse 16, a gracious woman retains her honor. A gracious woman retains her honor. Deborah was called a mother in Israel because of her grace. Women, you have such a key part to play in the kingdom. You live by God's grace and you're radiating God's grace. But ruthless men retain riches. The merciful, merciful man does good for his own soul. Scientists are amazed at how integrated we are emotionally and physically. If you have a grudge, it's unhealthy for you. Better to just have mercy and drop it with whoever The merciful man, verse 17, does good for his own soul. But he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. It's unhealthy to be cruel. It's just a scientific fact we know today. Verse 18, the wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward, the Bible says. Apostle Paul says in It's a letter to Galatians. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. God is not mocked. 
As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues, pursues evil pursues it to his own death. Verse 20, those who are of a perverse or twisted heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their ways are his delight. And, you know, I've talked a lot about this in the last few months about it's so important to understand that though we're sort of a grain of sand relative to the entire universe. We can be a delight. You can be a delight to the Lord, a delight to him. In our study of Psalm 103 and Psalm 104, we studied those Psalms. It says it's talking about blessing the Lord. We talked about how do you bless God? I mean, how do you do that? God made the heaven and earth. He made entire mountain ranges. Billions and billions of gallons of seawater dumped into the ocean. He just created it all. How can we delight in him? So we talked about a number of things in those two Psalms, Psalm 103, Psalm 104. One was when our, our, our meditation and what, what we think about can be a delight to him. When we when our minds are, are, are pure and we think about, you know, Philippians 4.8, whatever is good, whatever is kind, whatever is good report, whatever is praiseworthy. Think about those things. We can delight the Lord uh, in that way. But verse 20 here says, also, just when we're blameless in our ways, meaning above reproach, meaning when we live such a life that, you know, people who know us can't say, you know, I get this issue with that person. I get that issue with that person, et cetera, et cetera. The Bible says one of the qualifications to be an elder is that he be uh, blameless or without reproach, meaning there's nothing in his life where he can be open to accusation. Verse 21, though they join, uh, though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished. So sometimes it is intimidating when different groups sort of join up against the righteous or against us. There's a number of different factions in this country which join up together. In the case of University of California, it was, you know, their system and gay activists get together. They come up with these policies to undermine uh, the Christian faith. Thank God the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against us as we go out and go on the offensive. That's not speaking of the defensive. Saying the gates of hell, that means we go out to the gates, the fortress. The gates of hell will not prevail against us, but though the wicked join forces, the forces, verse 21, they will not go unpunished, but the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Ooh, wow, what a verse. It's so descriptive, isn't it? Like a pig with a gold earring. It's no different than when there's a beautiful woman who's patronizing and arrogant and Stuck up on herself and patri- and, and just sort of am, you know has selfish ambition in her life and just it's cruel and lacks kindness. It's like a pig with a ring in its nose. Ugh. Anyway, I love these descriptive proverbs. Verse twenty-three: The desire of the righteous is only good. But the expectation of the wicked is wrath. The Bible does talk about, we've read about this, that one of the consequences of a life that is rebellious and disobedient to the word of God is the expectation of wrath, meaning you start fearing things even when there's no reason to fear. I think it's in Leviticus 28, 27, I think. There's a whole chapter about this that... They'll start hearing a, a, an, an army coming after them and, and they'll be shaking in their boots when there's no army pursuing them at all. There's an expect, that's just one of the consequences of living a life disobedient to the word of God. This would be the expectation of wrath. There is 
Verse 24, there, another one to cut out and put over your uh, doorpost. There is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also wa- be watered himself. The people will curse him who withhold grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. So there's just a principle written into the created order that as you give and give and give, you will get more and God will multiply the little that you have. But if you're stingy and you retain the Bible, I love how it says, I think in, is it Haggai? Where it says, um, which, hey, that's going to be one of those books on Friday night. Haggai. It says that, you know, the Lord will just poke holes in your pockets. You want to withhold from the Lord? You want to withhold the first fruits of your increase? God will just poke holes in your pockets. You know? Well, I don't have to give anything to, to, the, to the church or to the poor or whatever. Okay. You're going to be, you know, you'd be sorry for that. But the Bible says that he who is liberal in their giving, God increases it even more. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. You're right, because God is, makes it happen. And I just can't tell you how many testimonies there are of this very principle. People start giving the first fruits. They start tithing. And, and, and just they see the Lord faithful to his word. The people will curse him who withholds grain. So today it's today it's oil. You know, you have, there's people who there's nations who have oil, but they withhold it to drive the price up. Used to be the case with grain, and still probably does happen uh, in certain parts of uh, of the world. In one sense, you know, some of this goes some of this goes on in in this country. You know, they they drive the price of food up in order. Um, by like not farming land and you know and this type of thing. Verse twenty seven He who earnestly seeks good finds favor, but trouble will come to him who seeks evil. He who trusts in his riches will fail, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. Verse twenty nine is a great one. He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind. You know, God himself established the family. He established the family to be a sanctuary. If your family is anything short of somewhere, uh, if your home is anything short of a sanctuary, it means something's awry and you need to seek the Lord to make it a sanctuary. Today, uh, our whole family went to the airport to pick up my daughter, Adley. She's been uh, gone for five weeks. And we all went to the, what do you call it, the exit gate where they come out. You know, you used to be able to go all the way up to where they got off the plane. Oh, all this security stuff. I know, they need to have it. I shouldn't mock it because they do need to have it. But we, so we, you know, you have to get farther away now. And so we all stood there and... Adelaide came out and uh, we greeted her. She's been in Peru for five weeks. And uh, it was just such a, a rich, rich time just meeting her and uh, going out to, to, to lunch. And there's just so much joy. And it's like, wow, this is just the Lord. This is the Lord. This is how, this is, you know, God created the family, and it's just a good thing. Well, this verse says, he who um, troubles his own house will inherit the wind. So, for example, a child who grows up with godly parents and in a godly family, and then they just go off and they just just decide, you know, I'm just going to reject. I, I like, I want to just satisfy the lust of my own flesh. And they just go off and they reject you know, what their family is taught. And just trouble comes into the house. 
where, you know, when the family gets together, there's not that joy. There's not that unity. There's just trouble. Or a husband who goes off and he spends his money on, on alcohol, you know, while his family is going uh, uh, without. Or, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a hundred examples of it. Uh, 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 someone who's unfaithful to a marriage where that, 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 that situation which God has created, which was meant for joy and to be a sanctuary, all of a sudden trouble comes in and, and, and the joy is gone. You know, the Lord's just really, really serious about keeping the family sacred and filled with joy. And so he says here, he who troubles his own house will inherit the wind and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. Verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. Now this could be a prophetic statement on the part of Solomon here. It's interesting in the Old Testament there's you know there's not as much but there still is quite a bit in there about Gentiles coming in and being converted to Jehovah. But there's obviously a lot more in the New Testament, much more of an emphasis on winning souls, winning people over to the Lord. If you do that, it just says you're wise. If the righteous will be, uh, verse 31 if the righteous will be recompensed, meaning if they'll, they'll get their due on the earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? And so we see this uh, type of thing um, all the time, that the, that, that the righteous just reaping what has been sowed in their life and, and the wicked as well. Chapter 12, verse 1, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Now in my house, you're not allowed to say the word stupid, so if my daughter Faith was in here, she would probably out loud rebuke me right now. Don't say stupid. But here it is. It's in the Word of God. But he who hates correction is stupid. still going to be a rule in our house. You can't say it unless you're quoting this verse. Verse 2. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a a man of wicked intentions he will condemn. Verse 3. A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. Here's one that's near and dear to my heart. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Oh, man, that is so true. My wife is my crown. She's the crown of my life. You know, there's a lot of spiritual warfare associated. You know, I'm not, look, I'm not, I'm not picking, I, I'm not isolating anyone out here or I'm not talking about anyone, I promise. But a lot of spiritual warfare associated with couples who are on their road to marriage. A lot of, a lot of spiritual warfare associated with that. Why? Because Satan knows that, among other things, among many other things, he knows a lot more than we do. Satan knows that a wife is the crown, an excellent wife, rather, is the crown of her husband. And and when a man and a woman who the Lord brings together um, in marriage, just the fruit of their life will be multiplied enormously. Without her, he doesn't have his crown. His, in, in a very real sense, his ministry has not been established unless he has the gift of you know, being pure and remaining single. And that's a different story. But, but um, and, and, and the same thing, by the way, is in reverse. You know, it, there, there's many women who need a godly, spiritual leader, a man in their life, for them to fully flourish. 
you know, with the Lord. That's why there's a lot of spiritual uh, warfare, not only in relationships leading up to marriage, but of course, that's why Satan is attacking marriage as an institution and attacking marriages that have, have been established. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. And my wife, Stephanie, where is she, by the way? There she is. She's my crown. But she who causes a sh- causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Ooh. You know, a wife who's not following the Lord will completely marginalize the fruitfulness and ministry of her husband. Totally trivialize his, his ministry. And that's it's awful. It's an awful thing. And it certainly doesn't mean that, that you know, um, a, a, a man who is not married to a godly woman uh, cannot have fruit in his life, but he will, you know, he will certainly have a major, major hindrance, and there will be an effect. Verse 5, the thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsel of the wickeds are deceitful. So remember your thought life. Don't think you're sort of getting away with stuff. Because you sort of keep it just to your thought life. You're not. And you're sort of paving the way to your own downfall. It really is what the Bible teaches. Verse 6, the words of the wicked are, lie in wait for blood. But the mouth of the upright will deliver them. The wicked are overthrown and are no more. But in the house of the righteous, but the house of the righteous will stand. And so you ask yourself, well, what's up with this verse? I mean, the house of the righteous will stand. What about all the Christians living in Soviet, uh, living in the Soviet Union, which were just destroyed? I think of, wow, the biography of Watchman Nee and what happened to him and his home was just destroyed. His He was taken off to jail. His wife was just harassed for the rest of uh, her life, you know, the Proverbs, in in, in many instances, it, it's it's really it's giving sort of the big picture. It's giving the big picture. That over history, this absolutely is the case that the house of the righteous will stand. That doesn't mean that there won't be persecution, and that um, the house of you know, of, of some of the faithful will uh, will be broken up by wickedness. But you know, we can always take comfort in First Corinthians chapter ten, uh, which says, you know, that God will work out for good. Was that Romans chapter eight? Is that Romans chapter eight? That's Romans chapter eight. You know, God will work out for good uh, those who love God and are called according to His purpose. He will somehow make it into good. And sometimes we we'll, won't understand how really until we're with the Lord. Verse 8, a man will be commended according to his wisdom. But he who is of a perverse heart will be despised. Better is the one who is slighted by, but has a servant. Now here's an interesting one and you have to scratch your head a little bit when you read it. Better is the one who is slighted but has a servant than he who honors himself but lacks bread. So I think the thought here is that when even, you know, if someone, all they have is a servant, a single servant, which, you know, at that time, you know, the, the, the cost of labor, very cheap, uh, and many people had many, many, many servants. It was common to have me- a number of servants. Well, it was better to have uh, uh, to, to be righteous and be thought to be a person of low estate, meaning just have one servant, than to sort of deceive everyone, be a hypocrite, come across as you uh, you know, have something, but really you're lacking bread. I think that that's the idea of that one, but you all can go study that one and come back and 
tell me you have a better interpretation. Verse 10, a righteous man regards the life of his animal. So we do read that in the word of God that God cares about animals. We read that at the end of the book of Job. If you ever ever wonder why you have an affection for for animals, well, it's because you've been made in the image of God. And though I scratch my head when I see that animals have more rights than unborn children, that doesn't mean that you know laws against cruelty to animals are are wrong. They're not wrong. They're right. It's just we live in a twisted society. There's sh- that you know we do need to have regard for animals in their treatment. But the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Verse 11. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread. Men, women, you've got to be diligent. You've got to be out there. Diligent, working. But he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. That word uh, frivolity, another... I think if you have the NIV, it, it's fantasies. Anyone have NIV here? NIV? What's your word there, brother? Fantasies. I prefer that. But he who follows fantasy is devoid of understanding. There's uh, there's other Proverbs. I think Proverbs 22, there's one about he who chases fantasy will come to ruin. You know, over the years, I've seen network marketing schemes get their way into churches and just take over churches. And, you know, through those schemes and uh, through these network marketing programs, really a lot of it, although some work is involved, um, a lot of it just depends upon, many of them, it sort of depends upon sort of getting in on the front end of one of these schemes. And, but... In the end, a lot of them are devoid of un- a lot of them collapse. But those who don't collapse, so much even of these network uh, marketing programs that um, wind up su- uh, being successful and are marketed as Christian programs, they are so unbelievably carnal in the way that they're advertised and marketed, and it's all about. You know, get filthy rich. Of course, they may throw in, and then you can give, you know, you can give some of your money to charity, sort of like the lottery. You know, well, I'll play the lottery, but really, if I win the lottery, I, I'll give 50% of it, and, you know, buy orphans in, 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 you know, the former Soviet Union or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's it, he who chases fantasies is devoid of understanding. It's really sad. How in the Christian community, uh, these things can come in and take over. I remember when I was uh, at the beginning of uh, 15, 20 years ago, I was, uh, I was a lawyer, worked as a prosecutor for the Securities and Exchange Commission in Atlanta. And half of our cases at one point involved churches. It was just awful. People going into these huge mega churches and... Uh, promoting these, these you know, get-rich-quick schemes. And the churches were teaching a prosperity doctrine where, you know, you can get rich really quick, and this is how God is going to do it. And hordes of people would come in and give their money, and then they'd all lose it. And the church winds up being split up the middle, tremendous people's faith and their trust towards the leadership is shipwrecked, just a mess. And that's why theology can be so important. It's so important that we get our theology of the Bible correctly. He who chases fantasies will come to ruin. Verse 12, the wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. A man will be satisfied with, a good, with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. Verse 15 is a great one. The way of a fool is right in his own 
eyes. You know, sin is so deceptive. You know, so often a fool or someone who is living in disobedience to the Word of God, they will convince themselves no matter what it takes that they're right in their own eyes. Verse 16, a fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. He who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. Now, verse 18 is one that I typed out, cut out, and put over one of my kids' doors. I won't tell you which one. Really, it has nothing to do with a particular kid. There is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Could just as well be over my door, because we all need to know this. That our tongue, what, we, what comes out of our mouth, can be like the piercing of a sword. Or it can promote health. Truthful lips shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Verse 20, deceit is the heart of, the, of those who d- devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. No grave trouble will overtake the righteous. Again, that's a big picture statement. But the wicked shall be filled with evil. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. You know, brothers and sisters, we need to have lips that that not even a quarter of a lie comes out of our lips. We have to be Utterly, totally above reproach. You know, I went to a college, and every year they have a homecoming where alumni, you know, go back, and and uh, people are really trying to, you know, there's a lot of pressure for me to go back in October. And uh, as it turns out, I'm speaking at a, <laughs> I'm speaking at a conference that particular weekend. But before I accepted that, I just checked to to see if it was the same weekend. And I was tempted just to tell people, well, I can't go because I have this conference I have to speak at. But that would be a lie. That's the problem. I'm going because I don't want to go. I don't feel like the Lord wants me to go. I've gone to a couple of those things, by the way. I'm not completely against them. It's just generally not a good use of my time. But, but um, uh, it's so tempting uh, to do that. Uh-oh. Did, did I say I'm not going? Did I say I'm going? Did I say I'm going to it? I'm not going. I'm not going to this alumni gathering, this homecoming alumni gathering, because... I'm speaking at a conference. And it was, am I getting it right now? But, but, but I was so tempting. <laughs> See, my wife is the crown of my life. It was so tempting to, you know, to, to, to tell these people who were putting a lot of pressure on me to, to go back. Well, you know, it just so happens I'm speaking at a conference that weekend. But that would be a lie. Because I'm not going because, I, you know, frankly, I don't, don't think the Lord wants me to go. Which, by the way, is not a very easy thing to explain to uh, an unbeliever. But um, uh, we, when we speak, we need to speak truth. Even though sometimes the truth costs us and people may not like us or even understand lying lips are an abomination an exceedingly great sin to the lord verse 23 a prudent man conceals knowledge but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness the hand of the diligent will rule but the lazy man will be put to forced labor anxiety in the heart of man causes depression but a good word makes it glad. And we've talked about this before. The gift of encouragement, it's listed as one of the gifts in the New Testament, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So many times, it's, it's just giving 
a, the word of God to someone. Given the word of God where it just builds someone up. The gift of encouragement, a good word, makes it glad. And when there's tragedy in the church, I encourage people to send people scripture. Verse 26, the righteous should choose his friends carefully. Please, 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 please. Choose your friends carefully. You know, I've... Some of you have heard me say this many times before, and it didn't originate with me. I first heard Pastor David Rosales say this. He's a pastor out in California. You need to separate the two people, the two kinds of people that you hang out with, between your ministry and your friends. And the problem with many Christians is some people who they hang out with should be their ministry. Instead... They're their friends, and they wound up being dragged down into behavior that's not becoming of a Christian. And you just need to make some hard, hard choices. Is this person a friend, or is, does they, do, do they sort of drag me down? Or do I feel sort of dirty or unspiritual or whatever when I'm around them? Or after I've left them, I just really don't feel closer to God. And sometimes... We do need to just utterly, totally cut people off if we're not, if we just can't handle being around them. You need a righteous man chooses his friends carefully, but for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Don't think. The end of that verse is the is as important as the beginning. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. Never think, well, you know, this guy, this gal and I were good friends back in college or whatever, and I know she leads a different lifestyle, but I can take it. I can take it just hanging out with her, you know, once every few months. I can take it. No, the way of the wicked will lead you astray if you're calling them a friend. They may be your ministry, not a friend. Verse 27, the lazy man does not roast what he took in, <laughs> took in hunting. Wow, that's one lazy dude. He went out and he, he, he shot a deer or whatever, and he's so lazy. I guess they didn't have fridges back then and, or freezers. And he doesn't even get to roast what he shot. But diligence is man's precious possession. In the way of righteousness is life. And in the pathway, in its pathway, there is no death. Anytime you sin, anytime you sin, there's a principle of death that takes place in your life. There's a principle of death. For the unbeliever, that may, you know, can include actually hell, but even with a believer, there's a principle of death. Your death will be at place in your relationship with the Lord and with other believers. And it's so important to repent and seek the Lord and ask God for forgiveness so that life can be restored in the way of righteousness is life and in its pathway there is no death okay praise the Lord